Media Plus from the Mac Observer, our weekly look at digital media and Apple's place within it. We've got a bit of a special show today, reflecting on Ted Lasso Season 2, which came to an end the Friday before we recorded this show and probably the Friday before you're listening to the show. Um, Spoilers abound, so if you haven't watched, go away, watch it for an hour, then please do come back and hear our hear our conversation send us your thoughts after you've watched it but don't blame us for the spoilers because you have been warned and i promise you you if you haven't watched it you will want to come back because i've got not one but two great guests with me jeff gamut and tom merritt they joined me for the start of season two and i'm delighted they are here for the end hey jeff charlotte it is so awesome to get to hang out with you again and it's delight to have you here and it's also delight to have mr tom merritt how are you Oh, thanks for having us all back. This is going to be so much fun. It is going to be fun because there's a lot to get through because Ted Lasso episodes seem to get longer without anyone noticing. They did that thing that it was a half an hour comedy and then at some point it became a sort of 45 minute drama series. Anyway, we'll get into all of that. Um, I'm going to abuse my privilege as host as I want to do and give you my take on season two first. Um Anyone who's read my weekly reviews will know I was a bit disappointed with it, particularly after the kind of high and the fun and the unexpected joy of season one. Um, I'm happy to put all of that in the context of we didn't know what have anything to expect from Ted Lasso season one. It was a random advert from 2008 from NBC Sports and we didn't know what to expect and it all was a bit random. And then it was this lovely, funny, brilliant show with great performances from really good people. And most of that is true in season two as well. The performances are still great. There's still lovely moments in it. I didn't think it was as funny. There was a lot less laugh out loud funny moments. There were some brilliant ones and we'll come on to them. But that was my biggest disappointment. It started to take itself a bit seriously. Anyway, Tom, what did you make of it? Yeah, I'm not too far off. I think I'm slightly more positive about it. second acts are difficult and and we know this is the second season of three seasons so it feels like a second act to me i i don't think it's as much of a high as watching season one uh season one i every episode kept subverting my expectations and and making me think oh my gosh they did it i didn't think this episode could be better than the last but it is whereas this episode is very obviously setting up a story for season three. That said, I found it really enjoyable. Uh, it, it deepened the characters. It gave me things to care about that season one couldn't have, uh, yeah. given given what it was. Uh, and I am incredibly intrigued, uh, especially regarding uh, the, the final scene of, yeah, of this episode, well, where things are going to ha- go in season three. Yeah, that's pretty fair, isn't it, Jeff? It's a pretty fair take from Tom. I think that's a pretty fair take. Yeah. I mean, it's it's act two in a three act. And act two is the one where you you take everything down and you you put your heroes in that spot where they now have to recover. And then in your third act, they get they they recover. And I, I think they did season two really well. Um, I, I can see why why people look at it and say it wasn't as good as season one. But hey, not every season two or every second act can be The Empire Strikes Back. Right. Um, yeah. So the reason why you both are referred to it as a second act or second season of three is because we know that season three has been renewed. I am 
going to boast, frankly, that Bill Lawrence told me in an interview that there was they planned it as a three-season arc originally. That was always the plan. My question to you, and we probably don't have an answer to it yet, Jeff or Tom, is are they going to have the courage of their conviction to end this show that's the biggest by a mile on Apple TV Plus in 10, 12 episodes' time? I'm intrigued to see if they hold the line on that. What yeah, I've seen think? a couple of interviews where 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 they you know kind of doubled down Bill Lawrence saying it was conceived as a three season yeah. story. It wouldn't be impossible to see where some of these characters go afterwards, but that's not where our head's at right now. Uh, I think they are tempted though. Uh, how, how could I you would, not be? Yeah, I I would think given the the way they've handled the storyline so far and trying to subvert your expectations and not just deliver you you know the the obvious results that if they did extend it they wouldn't extend it with anything as simple as ted lasso season four yeah that you know i don't know maybe we get a beard season or, yeah, or maybe or you know it, who no, knows yeah. where season three ends up maybe maybe we get different kinds of spin-offs or something like that yeah i can i can see that jeff what was your take generally on the finale episode break that down for us uh i i like the finale episode yeah at the same time i was frustrated but i think i was supposed to be frustrated and uh and and i think they did a good job of taking the loose ends that needed to be wrapped up and wrapping those up and then setting us up for uh season three so uh it, it was it was a good episode but it was more of a of a functional episode yeah, I thought they did a very, very good job of wrapping up most of the questions we had. So, okay, so we knew earlier in the week probably what was going to happen with Richmond because the producers of Ted Lasso signed an enormous deal with the Premier League, licensing deal with the Premier League to be able to use archive footage, the real trophy, all that real badges, all that kind of all that thing. So it was always pretty like, like they didn't spend half a million pounds or however much it was um, on a deal where they weren't going to be in the Premier League. It was always obvious they were going to get promoted. So, and we can, there's a bit of a realism criticism I have about the way Richmond were promoted or the way that was discussed, but we can talk about that when we come to kind of more broadly discussing the realism of it. Um, but so it was obvious they were going to get promoted and they dealt with that well. Yes, it was a half a million pounds I spent, 500,000 pounds. So it's, you know, Serious chunk of money we're talking about. Um, they dealt with that very well. They dealt with the Sam issues very well, I thought. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm pleased they didn't. he didn't disappear because he's been a great character and one that's really got better in this season. The only thing that was really left was Roy and Keeley, wasn't it, Tom? We don't really know where they stand. Yeah, I, I feel like the, well, there, there's another minor point that I don't think anyone else cares about but me that I'll, I'll mention too. But for Roy and Keeley, I really do like the way they have made their relationship realistic. Yes, while not undermining the 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 you know the true love aspect of it. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. throwing them throwing them some some obstacles. That's one level, but then having them really have serious doubts 
you know, and having them tell each other the truth and the truth land differently for the two different people, you know, having them do that photo shoot where it's, it's, you know, they're, they're very clearly, you know, in a bad place and then bouncing back from that. Uh, I, I do, I do really like the way they're handling that and showing like, Hey, it can be a very healthy and positive and long lasting potentially relationship, but that doesn't mean it's always going to be easy. Uh, and, and I think that's true to life. Yeah, I mean, I've no, I mean, we've all experienced how difficult vanity fair shoots can be with a partner, right? You know. Oh, of course. Oh, it's, it's yeah. a burden. Um, yeah, you just don't make those kinds of confessions on set. We all know that. No, exactly. Right. Exactly. Um, I, I mean, I've never made those confessions on set. I always exactly. wait until afterwards wait until when the they bring out going. the fruit tray. Yeah, yeah, exactly. In every vanity fair shoot I've ever <laughs> been done, right. right. <laughs> Oh my God, I would pay to see you to do a vanity fashion. <laughs> anyway, um, I actually think the development of Keely in particular, Roy's development was a bit more predictable. You could kind of see where he was going to go. There was no way he was ever going to stay away from Richmond all season. There was no way he was not ever going to soften. I think the way they've developed Keely over season two with a brilliant performance from Juno Temple has been one of the really pleasing aspects of the last 12 episodes. Yeah, and I I really like the way she held the line uh, and explained patiently, like, yes, that sounds great and you should do that, but I can't. And he's like, oh, come on, you can work from there. And and yeah. and I'm like, yeah, you could. But I, I act that I unlike a Vanity Fair photo shoot that I do have some experience about yeah. like, yeah, but working from vacation, not very fun and not very vac- vacation, work harder and vacation less enjoyable. So I, yeah. I, I was kind of mm-hmm. with Keely on that. Yeah. But just generally how I don't know what you think, Jeff, but how she's developed from being the kind of sort of ditzy girlfriend to becoming this very powerful female character within the show i've really enjoyed i i've enjoyed that too and i like how they set that up through season one yeah because you're right at the beginning of of season one she is the ditzy girlfriend to the the shallow and vain soccer star or football star but as that season progresses she's already becoming the stronger uh a uh, capable Keeley that we get in season two. And then yeah. to see that really built up across season two was great. Yeah. I think that generally you kind of start watching season one, thinking the female characters are a bit, ugh, and actually they've really developed all of them. Um, and I think both Hannah Waddingham and uh, Juno Temple's performances in, as the kind of two leading female characters have both been exceptional in season two. While we're talking of character evolution, we're going to do it. Let's talk about Nate. They're not so great anymore. What's gone on there? We'll talk about Jeff's very keen to talk about his hair. I know. And we will talk about his hair because it does actually mean something. But what did you, I mean, watching it, I was kind of, it was obvious where it was going fairly early on that there was going to be a confrontation with Nate. He goes from being the lovable, shy kit man to being brought in by Ted as a coach in season two, in one. And then in season two, he's obviously a big part of the coaching staff. His nose is put somewhat out of joint by Roy's return. You know, this legendary figure returning to the club, as we understand it, and doesn't respond very positively to it and often clearly feels overlooked and whatever. And one of the nice things they did in season two, I thought, was give us some insight into some of the 
fringe if that's a way to explain it, character's life. So we, there was a whole episode about Nate and the relationship with his parents. And it's quite obvious, particularly by the finale, that really when he has that confrontation with Ted in the finale, he's talking about his dad, isn't he? He's having a row with his dad, essentially. What did you make of the way they Nate moved along in that season, Tom? Yeah, I... I'm still wrapping my head around all the threads because it is it is probably one of the most complex characters yeah. in, in the entire series. From being one of the most simple, yeah. silly characters, they've really done well with it. And great performance by Nick Muhammad. And well, yeah, absolutely. It's mm-hmm. it's a continual subverting of of what you think. Like, oh, okay, so he'll be the the happy the happy to be here kind of guy, and then uh, he's the lack of confidence guy, and they build up his confidence, and then he becomes the overconfident guy, uh, which is very typical of someone who actually does lack confidence to yeah. overcompensate. Uh, and and then you bring in his parents, and you're like, oh, I get why he's like that now. Yeah. Uh, I see what he's dealing with. And I one sleight of hand trick with his development that I thought was really masterful is you don't really think he has a problem with Ted so much as the organization. At least I through throughout yeah. it, I'm like, I'm like, yeah, he's mad at Ted, but he's mostly mad about just wanting respect. Uh, and he's probably more mad at Roy, maybe for coming in, but he's mad at Ted for bringing in Roy. And that final confrontation uh I thought was was brilliant because. I felt like Ted, where I'm like, whoa, I knew you were mad, but I didn't know you were that mad yeah. about me ignoring you. Like, I, I didn't think Ted had ignored Nate, maybe mistreated in Nate's mind, maybe mistreated him or made wrong decisions, not given him proper respect. But saying you ignored me and like you say, Charlotte, obviously that's him speaking to his dad, yeah. not speaking to Ted. Uh, but it was it was a great way to, to put you on your back foot as a viewer to be like, whoa, where where's all that coming from? Yeah. Yeah. So. A couple of things. Uh, Nick Mohammed, the actor who plays Nate, has done a couple of tweets as the characters develop, being like, first of all, please don't hate me. Um, <laughs> this, the story is the story and it will make sense as it plays out. Please bear with us. Um, and then the second one, he did a, quite a long post at the end of season two. And I, I won't share all of it, but there's a couple of bits that are worth reflecting on. Um, he says, the opening and closing shots of season two are the same. But in the final shot in the light, the light in Nate's eyes has gone, supposedly gone out, which mm. is script, which he says they scripted. Um, he, often, he also refers quite a lot to the roast in season one where they all have, you know, you think it's joking and actually Nate ends up quite hurt, which I had for, sort of forgotten, but is a very good point. Um, he talks about how, Nate has is you know physically spitting at himself, which is rather gross, but it's, it became a very obvious thing that happens. Um, and the only scene that is just Tate and Ted and Nate in the whole of season two is that confrontation we've spoken to. At no point in the previous twelve episodes have they been together at any point, which is really cleverly done. Um, and obviously, it culminates in him storming off at their great achievement of being promoted. He rips the believe sign. We don't ever see it on camera, but the believe sign is ripped on Ted's desk. Um, yeah, and it's the first thing. He also pointed out that Mohammed, it's the first time we ever see Nate. He's shouting at Ted, the first time ever, which is kind of interesting. I hadn't thought of that. Anyway, there's a lot there, and I'll link to it in the show notes, but it is worth thinking of. And another thing he talks about is the hair, the hair colour, which... I sort of noticed early on he was getting flexible. I was like, okay, 
man's a year older. We all had a difficult 18 months. We've all probably gone a bit gray. And he said that is natural, but the evolution of his hair color is apparently deliberate. Obviously, mm. as you get angrier and he is going grayer. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> he compared it interestingly. This will probably mean more to me than you guys for obvious reasons, but he apparently trans uh, Nate Nick Muhammad said he thought that the what evolution was the same as the way Jose Mourinho changed and got darker and grayer and more angry as his career went on. Um anyway, you picked up on this, Jeff, as well, the hair colour and the fact that his hair is almost totally changed by the time he turns around. Spoiler alert, spoiler alert, spoiler alert. He turns around in his West Ham kit as the manager of West Ham, which is now owned by Rebecca's ex. I think we all kind of suspected he was going to do something, Rupert, but he has bought Mm -hmm. West Ham, we learn, in the season finale, and he has lured Nate over to be the manager. Go on. You go, Jeff. What did you make of it? Okay. So uh, the, the hair, I thought, was just a wonderful, wonderful touch. And I noticed it early on that we were seeing the flecks of gray and, uh, and mentioned it to a couple friends. And, uh, and so then we're all watching, paying attention each episode, seeing that there's more gray in his hair, mm. culminating with uh, almost completely gray in that final shot. Spoiler alert. Um, uh, but I, I see so many people talking about this evolution of Nate's character in season two. And I don't see it as an evolution of his character. This is a reveal of his character. This is who That's he's been one. since the very first episode of season one. He he has always been this mean, vicious, vindictive, and petty-hating person from the very beginning. The difference is that now he's been elevated to a position where he feels like he has power and authority. So he flexes and exposes who he really is. And if you go back and start and and watch Nate through season one, just focus on Nate, you will see all these tells that they drop to us. One of the biggest is when uh, Nate writes his letter as the, the kit boy, where where he's criticizing all the players and ted reads it and realizes actually this is all accurate and has nate read the letter nate is reveling in the pain that he is causing and you can see it and there are multiple points throughout season one where you see that and uh, and as his his confidence in his ability to be vicious grows and as he, as he becomes more and more angry, this broken character gets hair that's more gray and lashes out even more and eventually uh, takes the bait that Rupert feeds him initially at the funeral yeah. and leaves. And, uh, and so now in season three, I expect we will see Nate get really damaged along the way. As a pawn I'm going to pause you because we're going to do a predictions. We'll do predictions in a few minutes. Okay. Um, I just want to pick up on a couple of bits you said. So, yes, we all spot. I don't know about you guys. You said you spotted the gray hair. We all did. But I kind of thought, oh, that's just natural, as I say. And then you suddenly realized with that final reveal that it was completely deliberate. And we've been kind of carried along, which I thought was really clever. A couple of things. So in the row, 
Nate references a picture he gave to Ted and it's like he's annoyed it's not even in the office. Apparently, if you look closely, it's his next to Ted's picture of his son at home and you see it before the Mm -hmm. funeral and you see it when he's recovering from the panic attack. Um, He also made the point, Nick Mohammed, that season two is, I'm quoting him, season two is jam full of microaggressions against Nate from Ted laughing at the prospect of him being the big dog to Roy not being bothered that he made an inappropriate move on Keeley to not receiving the Nespresso uh, machine, which I think we all realised at that point there was something I was going to say brewing. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> but what what did you make of that storyline and how he became a much more dominant figure, Tom? Yeah, I, I think Jeff, your your point that that he hasn't evolved, he's been revealed, is is really really good uh, because I, I don't think Nate is evil, but Nate feels powerless and doesn't know how to how to handle his feeling of powerlessness when he gets a little power and and you Mm -hmm. see him lash out against the Kip boy because he sees himself and he doesn't want to be reminded of that. Uh, Mm -hmm. And and I think this all ties back to, you know, the fact that he's never felt he's gotten the respect he deserves at home from his parents, particularly his dad, uh, not so much his mom, uh, at least from what we've seen. Uh, And, and so, and so the, the idea that, that he has just been brewing without us knowing it again, uh, it was all there and we didn't notice it. Yeah. We're, we're, we're Ted. Uh, Ted was like, what? I, I put that next to my bed at home and I, you know, I, I value everything you say. And, and Nate needed more. Nate, uh, Nate, we, we didn't know that cause Nate didn't communicate it, but, but Nate needed a lot more than that. Yeah. And Nate assumed that using the tactics he suggested was a way of setting him up to fail and so on and so forth. Because that's uh, the model he's been given by his father, right? Sure. Um, well, Nate's also the character it, uh, on the on the team that needs therapy the most, mm-hmm. and he's the one character that never went to see the therapist. Good point. Yes, you never see him with Doctor Sharon. That's true. Like uh, I don't even recall seeing them in the same scene together, like on uh, camera well at the same right. time. I can't certainly can't think of one unless it's kind of in passing. Oh, we, it's when Doctor Sharon first came to training. They're probably in the same scene, but she's sitting in the stands, not involved, and. You actually think Ted is going to be the one that has the biggest confrontation with her at that point. Right. Um, well, and that's the other point, too, just just to, to shovel that in there before we move off of Nate, is Ted had a lot to deal with. Right. He he wasn't able to pay attention to anybody else, but he's got these, these, these relationships built up with Beard over the years that are just natural. Roy is very assertive and is going to, you know, force himself into the conversation, and Nate doesn't do those sorts of things. Yep, mm-hmm. and obviously um, Higgins kind of is involved in the little mm. boys' club they have and so on and so forth. And um, there's a lot to unpack. Uh, there's a couple of bits I want to focus on before we finish up. One is you, we've mentioned Dr. Sharon, played by Sarah Niles, who I thought was a great character and evolved in a really interesting way. Mm-hmm. Um, she's apparently coming back and has a big role in next season, um, as apparently does Trent Krim, now independent. Uh, and this brings me to another thing I want to just mention. I've discussed it a bit on Daily Observations uh, with Kelly Gamont, that actually they did a really, really, really good job of generally in Ted Lasso of being realistic to British football and how British football is carried out in the UK and displayed in the UK. So, for example, um, that Sky Sports show, they call it, it's called Soccer Saturday, with, uh, has two real presenters on it, Jeff Stelling 
and Chris Kamara, plus they then bring in the character who was Ted's predecessor, Richmond. It's the show that Roy appears on originally early on in the series as a pundit. That is a real show. That is their real studio. That is the real host. They even use the real theme music. That's a real thing that exists. Um, I think they just about got it right with Gary Lineker as well in the Coach Beard episode, who does present Match of the Day, which is that evening highlight show on a Saturday and Sunday night. Um, although Thierry Henry is not on it, though he has contributed to coverage before. Uh, other like re- They do other realistic things. So they really were at Wembley Stadium for the semi-final. That is real Wembley Stadium. Other stadiums, I think, were CGI'd, but that was really Wembley. Um, I was really annoyed when I found out Trent Krim had busted a source and initially it didn't look like there were any consequences because that's a really serious thing for a journalist to do. Um, mm-hmm. For him to have texted Ted saying that Nate was my source of the story is a really, really egregious thing to do them. You know, most editors would have you hung, drawn and quartered for. And he is, we learn, in the season finale. He has been fired and unfortunately quite rightly so. But he is another one who is apparently coming back. Where do we see those two going? Dr. Sharon coming back to Richmond, Tom? I don't know. I think I don't they all need a, her. I don't know. I, I, I don't have a good sense of Sharon Sharon's path because her coming back to Richmond just seems like, you know, playing a repeat of a, of a hit song. Yeah. Uh, I and, and I guess the other thing is maybe she ends up at West Ham, but I don't see Rupert hiring a sports psychologist or Nate. Uh, so I kind of wonder if she'll just be a character that's in the world. She lives in the neighborhood. Maybe Ted starts to, you know, get together with her outside of, uh, mm-hmm. outside of football. Uh, maybe she stops by the pub. I don't, I, I don't know. I, I, if I find that fascinating that she is for sure coming back and they built up such a relationship between her and Ted, uh, such a friendship between them that it would be a waste not, not to bring her back. Uh, don't have a good sense of what the role will be. No, my guess with Trent Krim, the obvious answer is that he will replace Keeley doing PR and press mm. office work mm-hmm. at Richmond. I thought he'd become like a blogger or something. I personally really hope he starts a substack. It's Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I think Sharon is coming back uh, in, in a more intimate role right. uh, opposite Ted. And when I say intimate, I, I don't... Uh, mean romantic. Okay, mm. I'm going to have to ask this. Is she going to stand in the way of Ted Becker? We know that we, we haven't dealt with it. We've gone nearly half an hour without discussing it. Those two are surely going to sort it out, aren't they? Never. I don't Never. think they will. Wow. Yeah. No, no. Uh, okay, so they can't. They just can't because right. that ruins the dynamic of the story. And uh, And for me, which dates me, um, when Mork and Mindy got together, it ruined the dynamic of the show. And this, they cannot do a Mork and Mindy in Ted Lasso and have the show still work. Probably um, not, no. So anyhow, I, I see, um, I see Sharon and Ted having this, this more intimate relationship and, um, and we've already seen how they have helped each other grow. Yep. And I think that's going to be key in Ted's growth in season three. Um, and we've already had a setup for Keeley to continue to do PR for, uh, for the team because uh, uh, that was part of the conversation yes. with Keeley and Rebecca. And, 
And I think that... I'm slightly worried she's going to end up with Rupert, if I'm honest with you, and end up working for West Ham. But we will see. That'd be a twist, yeah. That would that would be an interesting twist. Because they make and, a point of a, does, her saying that she would never do it. Like, it's... Anyway. Right. Yeah, so that would be interesting. Yeah. And then Trent, um, I hadn't figured out how he will fit in, but I like the idea of he is truly independent and Ted just set that up for us. And he's, he's doing his own uh, blog video coverage. I kind of like that. I really like that idea. It would be so great. Um, So yeah, there's all of that. Just a final point on the realism. Richmond ended the season being promoted from the championship to the premier league. Uh, and they did it perfectly accurately by finishing second place in the championship. That is, a, you get automatic promotion for that. One thing they never spoke about is the possibility, and it presumably given that they only needed a draw to get into the second place, they places three, four, five, and six in the championship go into a playoff. Three plays six, four plays five, and then the winners of those two semifinals play each other in what is the most valuable one-off game in football, basically in the world. To win that, depending on how you count it, that is the most... So for that to have not featured, I thought they did lose realism points on that. Possibly too convoluted to explain, but it's quite a big feature of English football um, and is quite a shame. And actually, you possibly even could have had a really nice, dramatic storyline, in which case they returned to Wembley to win the playoff. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the only footballing inaccuracies they've really had in the whole season which I thought was quite impressive Um, we're going to wrap this up as they've wrapped up season two but I want to end first of all you've given me your kind of predictions for season three but I want to know what your favourite episodes of season two were. what was yours Tom my favourite episode (laughs) I don't know if it's my favourite episode but the one that that sticks out of my mind the most is is the beard episode I knew you were going to say that (laughs) just because it's so weird I I don't even know still if I liked it or not but it's it's just so interesting right yeah Uh, but but uh, and and this is gonna gonna seem odd that I'm not even picking a mainline episode, but the Christmas episode is my favorite. I'm gonna watch that again at Christmas for sure. The Christmas it's episode was so, lovely. Good point. Yeah, it, it stands it really alone. Was. It's so nice. heartwarming. I loved it. Yep, Jeff. What was your favorite episode? Uh, well, I, I narrowed it down to three, and uh, and finally you narrowed it down to a quarter of the whole season. Yes, Jeff. <laughs> right. Uh, but finally, I figured it out. It, it is beard after hours. <laughs> and what what I loved about it was getting to see the the life of this uh, of this very mysterious character, but then also getting this episode that that while it stays true to the characters is presented in a completely different yeah, way, totally different. Yeah. And I mean, if if you do if you do things like that gratuitously with with a show, it comes across that way. But I feel like when, because uh, this is one of the extra episodes they had to, to shoehorn in, uh, I think they did a great job of figuring out how do we make the standalone episode yeah. that gives us this really interesting story that still ties in with everything else and uh, and gives us a little bit of insight into this this mysterious character. Yeah, I thought it was very good. It's the only time we've already spent any time with Bid. My personal favorite was either, the, I thought, the penultimate episode was absolutely brilliant, great. not just because of the bye-bye-bye dance, 
which was except was like a classic Ted Lasso. It was absolutely exceptional. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also really loved episode three, where Sam is speaking to his father and deals with what's the issues in the Niger Delta and all of that. And we learn a lot more about Sam. And it's when he starts to really come into his own. Uh, those were my two favorites. The best joke is the Prince Andrew joke from the Beard After Dark episode, which still makes me laugh. <laughs> Um, and I won't repeat on air, but it was very funny. Um, you guys are going to be back for season three, aren't you? Oh, yeah. Awesome. Oh, yes. I'm so glad that we'll have you back on to discuss that. Tom Merritt, you can check him out over on the Daily Tech News Show. Jeff Gamut, if you search for him online, you'll find him in far too many places. So thank you both for coming <laughs> and joining me. I'm Charlotte Henry. You can catch me at Charlotte A. Henry on the Twitter. Please do subscribe to the show and we'll see you next week. 